0: Oma Jnana Timiran Dasyajyanam Janashalakri <coughs> Chakshadumalitam Yen Tashmi Shri Gurave Namah Nam Shri Shtam Manum putram Triputram roopam roopam Rupam Tashyagra Jamarupurim Matrim Garstavatum Radha Kundam Gidivaram Radhikmadhavasam prapto yashabratit gripaya shri gurum tungutus name. Uncha kalpataru yascha gripasinduke vacha. Patitanum pava nephew. Vishnavibyanamonama. Nikila shruti moli ratnamala deity. Nirajita patapankajanta. Aji Muktakulai Rupasya Manam Puritashtam Hadinam Sam Shriyami Hanare Pitachirim Tida Terunayava Terunakalo Shamar Paitamunna Tajvalarasam Sobhakti Shriyam Hari Purata Sundara Dyutikadam Sadaridae Kandare Spurato Vasatinandana Ajahn alambita, bujo, kanaka, bodhatu, Sankirtanai, kapitero, kamalai, takshu, Vishwambaro, di Ladini Shakti, sarupai, gorangasuri, daich, Bakta Shakti, brother, nai, he Krishna Karuna, Sindho, Deen Abandho, Jagat Pate, Gope Kantaradha Kantanamashtate, Radhi Brindavan Hadi She, Kadunamrita Bahini, Kripaya Nijapadabja Dasan Mahim Pradiyatam, Bhaktiya Lakshai, kirtashtak maadit nand gmadhe kripam prapanam brinde namaste charan arbindam brinde namaste charan arbindam shri satyanandan gaur ki jai shri, shri gaur nitanand ki jai shri hari prabhu ki jai <laughs> so, good evening to all of you, Pranam. Welcome. Bye, Prabhu, thanks so much and the extended family for the invitation. And it's my honor, my good fortune, my pleasure to be here sharing with all the Vaishnavs and trying to, to honor... Harikata, and to honor the presence of you all through Harikata. It's a very serious commitment. It's not just a formal togetherness, but it's a very substantial togetherness. And that's a really, the, the ultimate meaning of togetherness, basically. <clears throat> so the idea today is to continue sharing some thoughts in connection to uh, a book I published a few weeks ago. But of course, it's, it goes beyond a book. It's For me, it's a very important idea that it's not my idea. It's just a particular way of framing uh, what I consider it's our common theme mm. as Gaudias and even beyond, which is radical personalism. So <clears throat> and radical personalism, as we were talking a few words before, starting with pranatan and Sudharma as well, mm. I just came to know that I have to say, Public with your permission, that she was one of the first ones to, if not the first one to conceive of this idea without me knowing about it, that she was already talking like that, then I came to know that Rukmini Day was talking about that, that Chaitanya Chiran gave class on Radical person. and I came to know like, oh, unknowingly I was uh, taken from that. But it's beautiful to, to get to know how different people from different places without knowing each other get to, to similar places. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's the beauty of it and of course as we were saying yesterday <clears throat> radical personalism the term says too much we are already personalists at least officially our tradition is a personal tradition personalistic tradition but strictly speaking we are radical personalists radical means to the very root to the very core of things we are concerned to to get to the very core of everything, Sarvatra, Sarvada, the Bhagavatam, mm-hmm. Seita, and the spirit to, to, to sort it through this in every place, in every situation, every time, place, and circumstance, and hopefully to the deepest possibility. Mm-hmm. So we are persons, we are individuals, but how much of a person we are, how much of an individual, we are, what's the potential of being an individual, what's the ultimate reach of being a person? I mean to receiving the gift of personality and individuality is a great blessing, especially in the human life where we can be aware of our own existence as individual, which doesn't happen in other species. But of course that has some, the gift has some commitment into it, has some price to pay. So it has some reach. If you receive a gift like that part of the, of the price, so to say, to pay. Hopefully we are willing to do so is to to ask myself, okay, which is the ultimate reach of this gift? Hmm? Especially a gift like the one that is coming from Mahaprabhu, Nitananda. Hmm? We are receiving something, okay, but what's the, how much this gift can play itself out, can be extended, can be expanded, what's the depth, the breadth? And of course the answer is no limit to that. So then we enter into the land of unlimitedness, where everything that we are receiving can be ever unfolding, forever, without limited. And so we are under the shelter of that gift. So radical personalism basically has to do with, okay, we are Gaudiya Vaishnavs, we are personalists, but how much of a personalist we can be? What's our potential as a person, as an individual? And of course, maybe sometimes it helps to say it indirectly how much impersonal we still are, in so many of our ways of not only dealing with each other, but dealing with our own selves, sometimes dealing with the bhakti, the practice of bhakti, sometimes even in our own conception of the divine, although officially we, will never, we, we may never say, hmm, let's go for Brahman or something like that, <laughs> but sometimes we may relate to the supreme personality of Godhead, and that's a pretty personalized conception in not as not as personal as Krishna is a person. To so being impersonal doesn't only mean I deny personhood, but I'm not being as personal as I could be. That's the principle of impersonalism. You have a potential for being a person and you are just being a two, five, 99 percent of that. There's one percent of impersonalism still lurking there. <laughs> So, of course, with the idea of radical personalism and not trying to promote any neurosis, still there's 1% missing. You could be more person than that. You are not being that, and I'm not saying that, but just to remain open to the, to the idea that this idea of being a person and being personalist and being personalized has no boundaries, can always be developed, can always be expanded. And of course, it begins at home how we relate to ourselves to begin with, how much we treat ourselves as a person. Sometimes we are not very uh, intimate with our own inner world, emotions, psychology. So how much we admit our our humanness as we were talking yesterday. I mean, that's a very important part of radical personalism. If you do not integrate your humanity with your spirituality, that's another variety of impersonalism because for us, Humanness is very important because our goal is Nara Lila. And Nara Lila means human-like pastimes. And as I say yesterday, human-like, the like doesn't mean half-human pastime. Like human, like pseudo, quasi-human. No, human-like, human means fully human, and like means fully divine. That's Nara Lila. Fully divine, fully human at the same time, paradoxically. So if our goal is to be fully human and fully divine we have to begin here and now to work on our divinity and our humanity project as well. And that's part of also radical personalism. So anyhow, today I wanted to talk, of course, about the topic from the perspective, with the, from, through the concept of, and this is something that we shared in, in Cali a few, I don't know, one month ago. I don't know. <laughs> that's it jagana was with me there in Shama Ashram in Kali and we were with the Ashram commander, <laughs> Sham Sundari, and she she suggested like Marash I mean, it was not a suggestion, there was no second option, but it was very it was that was that's her way of showing intimacy and affection. So like because I was going supposed to give a lecture outside a, a retreat that we had, so there was one lecture and I, we were wondering what to speak about, what some topic, some title. Yeah, Mara, you have to speak about revolutionary spirituality. So, okay, I mean, there was no second word about that. So we shared some words, but that class was in Spanish. So I, w- I want to share some of the thoughts that I shared that day here in in English, of course, and in connection to to what the book is about, basically, since both of them are basically synonymous to speak about revolutionary spirituality and radical personalism we will try to connect them too <clears throat> and of course to say revolutionary spirituality is kind of redundant because but i have to just in case because a spirituality ideally has to be revolutionary and ultimately the ultimate revolution has to do with with the spirit so to say but we need to put the two words together. Like sometimes Srila Prabhupada will say, okay, false guru. And he will say, well, a real guru is not false, but I need to to mention that because in the name of these, there is so much of that. You know? So sometimes in the name of spirituality, there is so much of non-revolutionary uh, narrative and dynamics. You know? Even sometimes we end up promoting mediocrity and complacency in the name of transcendence. You know? So it's it's a delicate crime so to say <laughs> using the the most sacred without bad intention even sometimes but in, and ending up resorting to the sacred for sometimes justifying profanity so to say <laughs> no, for justifying our own separate agenda in the name of god wants that like that or whatever mm-hmm. so even we may not not know it but sometimes we can the danger is there in potential, as we were talking the other day with some of you. Like, uh, we have a bright potential, like Srila <clears throat> Srimanash once said, and, and that's beautiful. Imagine someone like Srila Bhaktir Goswami telling you, Your future is brilliant. Wow, that's it. He made my day, week, month, year, <laughs> life. Then. No, I'm not seeing that brilliance, but if he's seeing that, that's for sure there somehow by the grace of. The So, yes, our future is brilliant. We have the potential, the, the potential that is beautiful. But sometimes we need to humble ourselves and humble that prospect, knowing that also I have the darkest potential. If I go in the wrong direction, I can end up doing anything. Like the other day we were posting something and someone replied like, I will never do that. And I was like, hmm, I got like chills. Like <laughs> <laughs> Never be careful with those words, always and never. You no, know? Once one friend of mine told me, I don't know, he heard that somewhere, like someone told him, the always and the nevers only belong to the Supreme. He can say always, never, and he, he can maintain that. You know? We are more in the Niyama Akshama club, which is always, <laughs> never. So, yeah, we have to humble ourselves and realize, given certain circumstances, I have the potential to be a serial killer, who knows what. I mean, I don't want to insult any of you. It's just to remain open to the idea that we should remain (laughs) humble in in, in relation to the idea of potential, which is a beautiful world, but we have to know how to deal with that. So again, we can use spirituality in not very spiritual ways. We can resort to the most refined theology, and we have that most refined theology. So that's a very delicate thing to deal with. You receive such a high, refined, descriptive theology. But you can use all that even to, so you don't have to change in whatever you have to change. So we can remain in whatever comfort zone we may choose to remain. And, of course, revolutionary spirituality has nothing to do with remaining in the comfort zone. I would say, to make a play of words that I make in my book, revolutionary spirituality, it's not comfort zone, it's confront zone. No? <laughs> no? So we confront or we are confronted. No, confronted is not a bad word. It's just something is put in front of us. and. And we see what whatever we, we, we didn't want to see. And was like under the rug, inside the closet, in the shed <laughs> of our subconscious throwing some. but not you know, so but revolutionary spirituality has to do with comfort zone. Beginning at home. Again, I'm not saying this, okay. I'm going home, I will take my husband and conference zone. Come here, my dear. I have a few things to tell you and so on. <laughs> but always begins at home and being very humbled by the potential we have to, to make certain mistakes in the name of the most sacred things. So revolutionary spirituality is quite connected to remain, remaining aware of that and, and praying for, um, yeah, for these situations where we are confronted with, with what we need to to, to see. I, I, that's how I take Kuntis prayer because someone may think of, that sounds like a little dysfunctional like masochism or something she's begging for problems but basically I feel like she's begging for confrontation <laughs> with reality, confrontation with truth, truth telling as I, as I like to I mention in my book, like for me confrontation and, and truth telling is another way of saying intimacy If I love someone and I show intimacy, I will confront that person because I love that person. Truth-telling, because I love you. I confront you. I tell you the truth. But that's intimacy. I'm not attacking you. I'm just showing how much I want that close connection. So we want close connection with Krishna. We want intimacy with him. But intimacy, again, has a price. You want intimacy that includes that in the package of intimacy package camps, truth-telling, confrontation, conference, entering the confront zone. And Kunti Devi is praying for that. No, please, Krishna, send me those moments, those tests where I can embrace, where I can see you in front. She's saying, Apunar Baba Darshan, I'm seeing you having your Darshan by having Darshan of those situations through which I am confronted with myself, basically, with all whatever I need to, to embrace. So revolutionary spirituality has to do with that Mm. to begin at home again, because sometimes we hear revolution and always think revolution has to be thrown onto others. So let's do the revolution and pick and point and attack or whatever, but (coughs) hmm? homework first. Mm. Let me share a few words. I will share a few readings, a few, you can see the colors here Uh, (laughs) in relation to that. So to also share a few ideas from the book, or what I was supposed to read here. Yeah. A few words on, on, on this idea of revolutionary spirituality it says like this. Um, although this book addresses relative necessities such as updating the language we employ to convey ancient, ancient concepts in postmodern times, it mainly tries to encourage the development of a spirit willing to keep up with the pace of transcendence. Transcendence is unlimited, which means we are called to ever-new horizons of understanding. We are to keep pace with an ever-evolving reality that we are part of, with an ever-evolving God we are tied to, and thereby with an ever-evolving tradition through which these very principles are revealed to us. Thus, the tradition needs to remain ever-evolving if it's to accurately represent an ever-evolving proposal, such as Gaudiya Vaishnavism. As it has been beautifully put by Richard Rohr, while addressing the sweet absolute, he said, You are infinite in action, which makes me infinite in becoming. That's my divine possibility. Very nice. Actual being is thus a process of becoming and not a fixed state, an ongoing journey, never a destination. In this way, the business of a prophet is to keep up with the pace of transcendence a pace that is persistent mysterious uninterrupted and mostly happening outside of the comfort zone so so that's an important point that we were sharing these days as well on the nature of of realities ever ever unfolding hmm. So ever unfolding, like we were saying yesterday. I mean, after one nanosecond, Krishna has become more Krishna than he was five seconds ago, one nanosecond before. You know? More loved by Srirada, more beautiful himself, more the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's not that he's a finished product you know, that I can consume. Go to the shop and give me three Krishnas, you know, like one Mahaprabhu, one whatever. You know? It's an ongoing, ever-evolving you know, reality. You know? And we are, suppo- supposedly we want to relate with that situation. So that means we have to keep the pace of transcendence. Now, transcendence, is as Mahaprabhu will say, what does it mean? like At every single step, <laughs> there is something new to relish. And there is something new to serve. And there is something new to honor. And there is something new to adapt to. It's not just relishing from the sofa, like, okay, a new one, a new one, thank you so much, thank you so much, another appetizer over here. But it's a a beautiful, but beautiful, constant, ongoing adaptation. (coughs) We have the the Darwin conception even in Golog, the survival of the fittest. Adaptation, adaptation, flexibility, following the movement of, of love, which is unpredictable. Sri Rupa Goswami will say in Ushbal Nilamani what primnas, he says, Love moves like a snake. No? How does a snake move? Like this? How does a snake move? <laughs> yeah, here we have a, an expert in Sri Rupa Goswami, Sri Nilamani. No? So the snake moves in a crooked way, in zigzag, which means you cannot predict the next movement. It's not like a snake goes there and okay, see you in that point in 20 minutes no like you have, you have no clue where which is the next step. So you cannot predict That's how love moves. It's a totally unpredictable journey. Krishna plays the flute over here, but you don't know where he will be playing the flute the next time we cannot complain like come on here, tomorrow there, a few hours there, make up your mind, and whenever we go, you'll tell and go back home, no, the cops are not I mean, I'm not complaining like just remain a little more predictable, please no. <laughs> the whole Golok project is over, if you insist on predictability so revolutionary spirituality has to do with unpredictability you know? the willingness to coexist with unpredictability, to develop a taste for the unpredictable, for to be okay that we are not in control because we are not in control, but we have to be okay with that. That's the remaining part of the job. Yeah. We are not in control. That's, that's a fact, but that we are okay with that. That's another thing. I remember seeing that image of a, some picture. There was a Buddhist monk seated on one rock in the middle of a lake, like very Zen, imaginary. And the quote say, relax. Everything is out of control <laughs> no. We are like relaxed everything is under control. No out of, of out of your control, of course no. <laughs> under the control of divine love, although it seems out of control, that control because it's totally unpredictable. <laughs> so So basically that's the, the notion, one of the implications of revolutionary spirituality, acknowledge. The spiritual reality is an ever-unfolding, ever-evolving, unpredictable, beautiful dynamic. It's beautiful. (laughs) Um, We consciously, voluntarily agree to sign the contract and to enter the journey. I want to to do the crooked dance, so to say. I want to follow the zigzag tango that Krishna has invited me to, (laughs) to join to to keep the pace of transcendence. Transcendence is not a fixed thing that is always the same. Sometimes I see, with all respect, devotees falling into that. Like I tell it, this is a constant, no, no, but Krishna is eternal. And I realized that for them, eternal means always the same. And it's like, and I, again, chills camp. Like Imagine if you go to try to relate with, yeah, he's eternal. I'm not denying that, but the nature of eternality it's dynamic. It's not a museum-like piece. Mm-hmm. No? It's not like Golog Brunan is a museum, an eternal museum. No. <laughs> it's eternal, that everyone is like always the same, always predictable, always doing the same thing. On the schedule. On the ske- schedule. I mean, we have the schedule, Asta Kalia Lila, but at the same time, that's like a, we have to understand that's a mm-hmm. rough idea of what's going on at each time. It's not like only Krishna is doing that, and whatever he's doing at that moment, it's always the same. I said we're, yesterday we were talking about that. No? It sounds more if I'm sent for eternity to a place where every single day the same thing happens. That sounds like hell. Yeah. That doesn't sound like heaven. <laughs>
1: they have movies like that also.
0: Yeah. Like what?
1: Where the day just keeps repeating. You
0: mm-hmm. can't escape it. Mm-hmm. My gosh, God forbid <laughs> that. No. But the point is that we don't want that. We say that's hell. But sometimes we we are not willing to to accept the, the implications of an ever ever unfolding reality. We, we want things to be predictable. We want things to be under our right, right, radar. You say radar?
2: Radar.
0: Radar. radar. Yeah. Uh, this will come, next this will come, next this will come without realizing if, if that will actually happen, which will never happen, thank God, that will be hell. Mm-hmm. And we say, no, I don't want hell. But at the same time, we fight when something starts to seem like heaven. <laughs> when something tends to become unpredictable and out of control, which is the nature of heaven, no, 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 no. I want everything like perfectly fits into my agenda, but that's hell. You say that you didn't want to go to hell. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm embodied contradiction, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what we are as still. We are work in progress, which means I have this, I've been touched with this gift, by this <laughs> unique grace, but still would part of my day I'm still contradicting myself in so many ways and it's, it's part of the embarrassment we have to go through, to the humiliation we have to go through I mean as, as once I, I was reading someone said, real conversion implies going through a series of necessary humiliations to the false self, mm-hmm. not that someone else is humiliating you but that you yourself will go, you have to go through that fire to realize again Again, contradicting myself, I say yesterday I will never do that again. Again, <laughs> but again, the word humility comes from humiliation, technically speaking, a healthy one. Again, try to please understand my words. I don't want any dysfunction as a byproduct of this of this kata today, hopefully. So that's basically the nature of spirituality. It's quite revolutionary, and. Uh, Interestingly, the word revolution, just to share a few words on that, interestingly, the, the origin of revolution comes from the Latin revolvere, which in Spanish we have the word revolver. In Spanish, in English, we will say like stir, you're stirring the dough, so to say, mm-hmm. stir, or sometimes also revolvere means to, in, in Latin to turn around.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's interesting that the idea of revolution has to do with that, no? revolution, no? Sometimes I use that term to the boat. Let's stir the doll a little bit. I mean, the inner one. Let's see what comes. Some bubbles will explode. Maybe some chili jumps in my (laughs) eye or something. (laughs) You never know with doll. I remember the first time I went to India, I almost died because of a doll. Yeah, I I wasn't there. No, no, no. I'll be careful. I'll be careful. I remember it was the inauguration of Sri Bhakti by Bapuri Maharaj's temple in Brindavan, that was two thousand and seven. And it was my first time in India, so I was not like in- initiated into all of the different nuances of how to drink dal, for example. <laughs> and to know that there may be full chilies floating in a glass of dal without me seeing that. <laughs> so you know you can imagine how the story continues. No? So I just make a big sip and the chili went straight to Radically to the core, I think. I, was, I think that was the first time radical came. Oh my, to God. Oh my God. I felt like the whole Rendan was like, oh, Agasur was coming, or like collapsing completely. No? But anyhow, I survived. I had just one full day of diarrhea or something like that. But like, here I am. So going back to the topic, revolutionists. To steer, no? steer the doll of the heart, so to say, no? Or to turn around, interestingly, no? So to turn around means like, I'm seeing this like this, let's turn around. Hmm. I, I didn't indeed conceive that side of the equation. So it means, the revolution will mean then to turn around, dare to see things from another perspective. Hmm. In the words of Sri Lassid change your angle of vision. Hmm. <laughs> once once one devotee asked Krila Siddhar Maharaj, I, I have told this one like 16,108 times, but let's go 109. Some devotee asked please can you give me one service, some service? And this devotee came with all his naivete in his heart, like they will send me to wash pots or clean the bathroom or some, some stuff to do. <laughs> You don't, you, you don't go to Srila Sirmas asking for that. <laughs> and if you go asking for that, you will receive a surprise, no? So devotee asking, can you give me some service? And Srila Sirmas reply, change your angle of vision. That was his reply. That was the service. Hmm. Change your angle of vision. Revolution, revolver, turn around, change your angle of vision. And when you change your angle of vision enough, you realize I don't, need, I don't need to ask for service because everything around me is a service opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And there's no limit how much can I change my angle of vision. So with those few words, he gave him service for the rest of his life. Change your angle of vision. Mm-hmm. And when you think you already changed your angle of vision, change your angle of vision a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. There is no end to how much we can Continue adjusting our vision because reality is constantly adjusting itself; It's constantly evolving and unfolding. welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so some words about revolution: no? change your mm-hmm. angle of vision, dare to see things yet from another perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh. Try to see things become beyond the status quo beyond the comfort zone that's a very cozy sofa to perceive reality from but that's not the all the full picture so to say it's like if you go to a stadium or to an arena uh to an stadium let's go to my argentinian samskars for a moment to a soccer uh, stadium, soccer, they say here, football. What's soccer? You have American football also. So, how do you call well, Soccer. Yeah. Okay. Because Argentina is football and that's it. So, and you may be in the stadium. I've been gone through that in my early years with my father and so on. And everyone in the stadium is like, like insulting the players, like, you should have done this, you should have done that, you should have... not because good. <laughs> it's like, no. Because from their perspective, ever no, everything it seems wider and deeper. But the point is that they are not in the fire. They are not in the arena. So they are just throwing conclusions from the sofa, basically. That's comfortable. That's easy to say. Go, to the, go there and see what you see being there. And let's see what you can do. <laughs> and probably you realize oh, they, they were doing much better than that I could have done being there. So it's easy to, be, to remain in the, in the cozy comfort zone, the sofa, so to say, of, of, of non-revolution and, up, um, and sh- throw opinions even on, on others. That's, that's easy. Social media is made for that, basically. <laughs> but it's a very different thing to enter into the arena, to be empathic and to really feel what the other person is going through in that particular situation, that takes time to empathize with the type of, as I put in my book, to the type of blood, sweat, and tears that the other person is tasting in that arena. You need to enter there. That takes time. That takes energy. Empathy is an investment of your life, basically. It's very important.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Because if we don't do so, again, there's not much revolution. There's not much turning around. There's not much daring to see things from another perspective. It's uncomfortable to leave the coziness you know, of the spectator seat and to enter the arena and jump and run and sweat and fall. And But reality happens and, on the arena, so to say, in the stadium. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's basically revolution. And also for revolution... Includes this idea of re-evolution. re-evolution. You have the word re in, in English, no? recalculate, reconceive, recalibrate, re-evolution. So, revolution also means maybe there is some evolution, but you have to press the re-button for a further one. No? Yet another layer of evolution. Mm-hmm. In our spiritual practice, for example, we started with some momentum, there was some evolution. But at that point, whatever what 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 was evolution at one point becomes stagnation at another. Not to condemn what happened, but I remember once I was talking with one god sister of mine at the time, god sisters. I have ex-god sisters. I have ex-ex-god sisters in different <laughs> dynamics. I wanna, she was a, an ex-ex-god sister and, and she told me, that was like, yeah, like 15, 10, 15 years ago and she told me like, Maharaj, I would really, and with all respect, she told me like I, I would really love to return to what I experienced on the first week in my in the temple. And I honored what he, she said, but I was like, oh, no, I don't want that. <laughs> not because I hate that. That was beautiful. But re-evolution, we have to continue moving forward, not, not going back to the past, no. Progress is not nostalgia. It's not let's go to. It's like if I sometimes I give the example. It's like if I call my mom and tell mom, those days, glorious days (laughs) in which you were like changing my, how do you say? Diapers Diapers were so beautiful. So beautiful. Let's go back there. (laughs) Now let's go back to those early glorious days. And she will say those were so beautiful. That they allowed the present moment to be even more beautiful. So we won back there. <laughs> no, thank you, man. So because they were so beautiful, that those created the foundation for today being even more beautiful. So, so, so that's basically the idea of revolution Revolution is a disposition for a constant new level of evolution, new level of upgrade, update. Hmm. So <clears throat> change basically acknowledging the need of change that's basically very important there is change and there's a need for change it's not that change is something that okay i have to change no like i i was totally resisting 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 until i was put like change okay no that doesn't seem too voluntary no? if, I, if i take a gun and tell you i love me you say I love you, Marash. Of course, you—you are totally freaking out of fear. You are not loving me. So, what's the value of, of that? I love you. So the same is—if I force to change, okay, I, I will change. But ideally, is I'm willing to acknowledge the need for change. and trying to—to to welcome that. Hmm. There's one quote that I share here from Shilasidhar Marash, which is very interesting in this connection. <clears throat> he says. A radical change must be affected in us if we really want a life worth living. This is the singular meaning of our ideal. Mm. I love how Shalasimov speaks. (laughs) Can I repeat the quote again? This says, a radical change must be affected in us if we really want a life worth living. This is the singular meaning of our ideal. Wow. That's a sutra to unfold and unfold and unfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our ideal, mm-hmm. Srila Sermonis will always speak about the ideal. Huh? Ideal is everything for us. Although we may have not fully actualized that ideal, the ideal is still there. Again, the potential we can attain, That's that's who we are, mm-hmm. in one sense. That's how how Krishna is seeing us, how the sadhus are seeing us. They're not seeing so much for who we were in the past. It sometimes happens. You did something 35 years ago and I will tell, do you know such person? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that person. Yeah, yeah. 35 years ago, he did that. I know him. That's it. The person doesn't have any chance for progressing, changing. You just label that person unlimited to that particular incident three decades ago. That's it. Not very generous. Some other people is a little bit more generous and is judging us according to who we are in the present. But still, it's problematic because if I am to be judged myself by who am I in the present, I'm I'm lost. (laughs) There's not too much hope. (laughs) So how Krishna and and the saintly personalities are seeing us is according to our future, basically, to all that we can be, to our potential. They are not judging us or oh, you did that in the past, you are still this in the present, but as said, you have a brilliant future. Mm-hmm. That's who you are. I see you according to your potential. That's very generous. Of course, that's very generous, but we have to extend that generosity to others. As we spoke yesterday, oh, Krishna has unconditional love for me. Yes, and that means that you should have unconditional love for everyone else, because Krishna has that same type of love for everyone else. So that's like, oops, that's difficult so in the same way Krishna is saying according to our potential uh, we should extend the generous uh, ambition to others so according to that potential again we may not be there yet we may be here now and we have our potential there and we will perceive okay I need to change some things so I can fully actualize that potential If someone is seeing me according to my brightest future and I'm being honest, I will be humbled by that. And also I will be be very sincere in recognizing where I am in relation to how the other person is seeing me. But the generosity of that person seeing me in that way will inspire me to do all the necessary changes to actually arrive there. (laughs) So it's important to... And to embrace, to welcome the principle of of change. Mm. Spiritual life is about change, basically. Spiritual life is not about remaining the same. But again, as we mentioned, sometimes we take spirituality as an excuse for remaining the same. Well, actually, spirituality is to be revolutionary, which means never the same, always something new. Mm. Ever new. it. that's the nature of transcendence. Mm. As we were saying yesterday, Mm when when Sri when Sri Krishna is has had some book, has had some union with Sri Rada and they somehow separate from each other after three nanoseconds. <laughs> somehow Sri Sri Rada sees Krishna again and she asks Lalita like who is that blue sapphire charming person that I'm seeing with curly black hair? And Lalita is like I mean three nanoseconds ago you were with him, that's Krishna. No, 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 but who is him? That's not that's not the Krishna I met three nanoseconds ago. Because, of course, again, Krishna is no longer that Krishna from three nanoseconds ago. So everything is unfolding naturally. Constant change, some constant shift. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we need in our life to go through a few tectonic shifts mm-hmm. for us to develop some, like, grace to deal with with the dynamics of life. I've had my my own dose, but I'm sure I will have more. There's never enough tectonic shifts as much as you need to be properly carved and be ready to to render whatever necessary service is there. And of course, to to enter into the land of tectonic shifts, it's it's a very interesting proposal because, again, it's entering to a land of, again, unpredictability, to the land of unknown, into the language you in, in the in the non change dimension you know certain things and you think I know how this works and then you are thrown into the tectonic shift planet and then whatever you thought you knew you start to hmm I'm not so sure if what I knew is like I, I thought it was no so again you start to realize oh before I know I have to unknow so many things before I get to know Krishna more, probably I have to unknow Krishna. No? I have to deconstruct certain ideas that I may have that we're actually limiting on all that he is. <laughs> you follow my point? It's like, if we need to re- reconstruct, sometimes we need first to deconstruct. We, have, we need to unlearn before we learn many times. And this is an ongoing process. <clears throat> Because let's be honest, no, as as, as human beings, uh, with our good intention, but the tendency is boxing reality. No. This label, tch- 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 tch, no, this label here, labeled here, boxing this goes in this box, this goes in this box, and I mean, don't try to put Krishna in a box. I mean, he doesn't fit in anyone. No? Don't try to put a, a saintly person in a box. Don't trying to put a Anyone in a box, <laughs> literally. That's a form of impersonalism. Again. Hmm. Oh, and in, in, in any case, we can put a box, but each one each box will be unique to each person. If you want to speak about boxes, okay. You have your own box. Nobody else has that box. It's a totally specific, unique box. It's not, I mean, I don't like to even speak about boxes in that case, but my point is sometimes we put that box, huh? Many many times I joke about this, but it's it's also serious and sad sometimes. But many times it happened to me, like and I was talking to, to one devotee the other day about it. And he told me that he was he re, he's in Italy and he received like, he was reading my book and he told me that he was giving some classes and sharing some points and the devotees were like and he said, Okay, that, that that book was that comes from a book written by a friend of mine called Swami Padmanava. And he'll tell me immediately after I say that, the immediate question was, who is his guru? Boxing on first layer. You no. Know? Depending who is his guru, I will put him in a particular box. No. You, know? you followed also. It's it's and it happened to me many times meeting the boats sometimes on the street, like Pranam, Pranam, who's your guru? It's like, oops, no. It's like if I meet you and say, What's your social security number? After five seconds, I'm asking you that. The most confidential thing. Now, that's not actually Vaishnava etiquette. Vaishnava etiquette is mm-hmm. yet, Guru Radmana, Mantra, mm-hmm. You have to hide your Istadev, hide your Guru, hide your Malika, hide your mantra. And hide doesn't mean Gurudev comes and you kidnap him and put him in the closet. Don't take it literally. <laughs> But you keep that reality confidential, and that information will come naturally when the relationship is unfolding organically and that's it. But sometimes we we use again, these sacred realities, who is your guru? I mean that's important, that's totally sacred. but how we how we use that inquiry? Who is your guru? Oh, okay. According to your reply, I know if I have to continue talking to you or not. <laughs> or, or from which place. And I mean, like if every disciple from the same guru is the same person or something like that, again, that's impersonalism, <laughs> this boxing. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> if we want to think outside of the box, as it is say, you have to be careful of putting people in boxes because that's, that's completely against who everyone else mm-hmm is mm-hmm. even in connection to krishna again it's not only among us humans you can put krishna in a box and i can ask who is krishna and you give the, the list the official list of what you are supposed to say when you are someone asks you that question no? he's this he's that who is krishna? he's blue yeah but what's your idea of blue <laughs> what's your bluishness and what's his bluishness Do you think that he's blue in the same way you you may be thinking of blue? (laughs) Be careful of limiting his bluishness. He plays a flute, yeah, but watch out for thinking that's the same Bansuri I heard when I learned to play myself, whatever, no? He has a peacock feather. Watch out, watch out. It's not exactly the same way you may be conceiving of a peacock right now. (laughs) His peacock feather is ever evolving. (laughs) His bluishness is ever evolving. Yes, I'm not being bizarre here. That's the reality. <laughs> it's not always the same bluishness. It's not always the same flute playing. It's not always the same melody. I mean, it's Shastras, is great. He's creating new ragas at every moment, simultaneously making his own musical rules, breaking all rules, creating new rules, breaking all those, creating new rules. So watch out for this Krishna. That's the box, Krishna box.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so that's important to remain open to change our minds about who Krishna is do not be so sure about who Krishna is do not be so sure about anything and this is not attacking your faith because (laughs) a healthy faith has to coexist with a healthy dose of uncertainty I remember when I visited Richard Rohr he he told me that he said the opposite of faith is certainty certainty The opposite of faith is certainty, not uncertainty, certainty. That's the opposite of faith. Because faith has to do with dealing with the unknown, dealing with mystery, coexisting with things that we can not fully understand completely and being okay with that. That's real faith also. It's not that I need to know everything in advance perfectly and then I have some faith. It's like, that's not faith. (laughs) That's you are on a control, control cruise or something, basically, you know. <clears throat> a few words from my book with your permission in this connection we have time right goodbye okay you let me know when i'm just what it's too much <laughs> or you let me know when it's too much not only about this <laughs> yeah so it says like this <clears throat> A few words on on the comfort zone that we need to, because sometimes again, comfort zone can be even a theological comfort zone. I have a certain idea of how God is, what he is, and we may need eventually to be moved from that. Krishna himself will do the the loving kicking out from that particular area. So the comfort zone, it's a a zone where concepts and words have a fixed museum-like meaning A zone which allows for unchallenged complacency and mediocrity to reign without question. In fact, mediocrity can be firmly and easily established through revelation. Instead of being rooted in tradition and revelation, we can end up being rotten in them. A play of words. Of course, not that revelation is rottening us, but we can rotten ourselves ourselves in the name of revelation instead of rooting ourselves in that. So again, you can just, I mean, the worst crimes in history are done in the name of revelation, basically. God wants this and representing there. You're really invested into that and you are able to do anything in the name of the absolute Delicate to deal with absolutes. When the absolutes come to your table, (laughs) to your glossary, Well, you can become a public danger immediately if you don't know how to manage revelation, how to deal with the absolutes. And one more close one about this point. He says, God is always bigger than the boxes we build for him. So we should not waste too much time protecting the boxes. These boxes are our mental structures that keep us in the comfort zone and that often give us a distorted picture of the sweet absolute. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So again, boxes are there, but do not spend too much time protecting the boxes. Like if there were the, the sadhya, no? <laughs> or something like that, the gold to attain. So a few words on the idea of revolution. I forgot I was talking about that. All this, has, all this has to do with that, revolution. Because sometimes, again, we hear the word revolution, each one of us will have a particular idea about what does it mean. But actually, we are trying to point in this direction. What does it mean revolutionary spirituality? And interestingly, going to the word spirituality, it comes from the Latin spiritualitas, and spiritualitas means breath of life. That's a very interesting idea because breathing is an, an ongoing cycle and it's something, of course, which is, keeps us alive. You know? So the idea is spiritualitas, spirituality means something living. It's a living thing. It's a living organism. It's a living participation. Again, it's not a spirituality. Here's your box. You know? Fit in. <laughs> something like that something constantly dynamic, something constantly revolutionary. Mm. And something that we we were talking today in the morning that has to do with a commitment that goes beyond even institutional affiliation. Mm. We we can have institutional affiliation. I'm not here promoting promoting burning churches or stuff like that, but the actual commitment is (coughs) Mm. trans-institutional. Our commitment to the ideal is to the idea. <laughs> Institution may be a good glass to bring the water, but the water is I mean you don't you don't give an empty glass to a man dying in the desert. <laughs> he brought you this beautiful glass cup that you can <laughs> get neurotic about. <laughs> There's no a single drop of water. No, no. No, thank you. I cannot drink glass. <laughs> so so in the same way, I mean real spiritual commitment has to do with joining as we're talking today joining a heart we 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 cannot join an institution i mean we may think that we join an institution we belong to an institution, but we join a heart that happens to be beating beating in a particular institution so eventually you end up joining the institution (laughs) But the actual joining was to the heart of whomever was in that particular place that made your heart beat similarly. That heart was beating in a way that made your heart beat in the same rhythm. And frequency. like, wow, this is great and interesting rhythm and orchestra here. So you follow that rhythm and you end up entering into whatever place that heart is beating, that drum is beating. So that's the actual participation uh, in spirituality. Institution may be there, may not be there, but the actual commitment is trans-institutional. Mm-hmm. The actual commitment is with our ideal. As Silas will say, the actual commitment is with our potential. Mm-hmm. One day that phrase came. Mm-hmm. We have a commitment with our potential. Mm-hmm. We have a potential. There is something that we can become And we have a commitment with all that we can be. And the commitment is try to get closer to all that you can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I always remember Srila Sidhar Maharaj will describe the Guru very beautifully. Of course, there are many ways one can... Someone asks you, what is the Guru? What Sri Guru? So many things can be said. And he once said something that I personally liked a lot. He said, your Guru is your own potential appearing in front of us. Our own potential appearing in front of us. In other words, that person is showing you this is all that you can become. That person is kind of a portal, transparent portal at least, giving you that epiphany. This is your potential. And I'm here to help you attain that potential. That's a very beautiful idea. Gurus, your own potential taking form, taking shape in front of you and talking to you, (laughs) so to say. Your own potential talking to you. Mm -hmm. So, some words about what's revolutionary spirituality. We have a few more minutes. Do you have time for me to, for you to tolerate me a few more minutes? Then we Mm -hmm. go to Q&A want to share a few words regarding also the book that I shared a few quotes, but also in, in big part the book, this book is about, at least for me uh, on, on how to how to say hmm, how to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava and how to continue remaining as a Gaudiya Vaishnava uh, from a proper place. Mm-hmm. Because again, we become Gaudiya Vaishnav, so to say we officially join whatever an institution, accept the guru, put the tilak for the first time. <laughs> whatever you meant, it's not an external thing, but we become devotees, as you will like to say. Although that may have started, who knows where, but when, but but you have to continue becoming a devotee. Again, remember this idea of becoming is not something that happened once in the past and that's it.
2: No?
0: Like you become husband and wife one day officially when you accept that person in in a ceremony or whatever, but you have to continue becoming husband and wife the next day, the next day, the next day. Huh? You, you, you say in the ceremony, I accept her for the rest of my life and of course everyone will celebrate and honeymoon will be there and all that madur, madur, madur. of the honeymoon and and we have all our honeymoons even in terms of spirituality Vishwanachakavartakur calls (laughs) the honeymoon period honeymoon in contemporary terms and it's great, it's perfect but eventually you have to continue reaffirming your vows on a daily basis I mean you have to continue choosing each other at every moment so the idea is the same okay I became a Gaudiya Vaishnava whatever 20 something years ago and that was but I have to continue becoming Gaudiya Vaishnava because continue becoming Gaudiya Vaishnava means continue developing my relationship with Krishna and with everything else with him in the center that's to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava it's not again about official membership and card carrying presentation it's about card carrying Membership, <laughs> how I'm carrying my heart, that will make me a member in a substantial sense. So, how to continue you know, being a Gaudiya Vaishnav? Of course, in my particular case, I had to ask ask that question a few times in a very deep and serious um, way about after certain tectonic shifts. No need shifts. No need to enter into the details. But the point is, yeah, okay, I want to. Con- I want to remain a Gaudiya Vaishnava, but there are some situations that have some shift, tectonic shift that have moved, so I can't remain as a Goan Devotional with the exact same way I used to be yesterday. <laughs> so how to continue? How to rediscover my own tradition? Basically, that was basically the challenge I had in front of me. Okay, I have to rediscover my whole tradition in a way that remains relevant and relatable to me, <laughs> and I'm not just a dysfunctional people guide they're doing niyama graha till i die no niyama graha means just doing something without knowing what i'm doing that <laughs> basically mm. how to continue developing my relationship with with god
2: you know?
0: from this particular angle we can, everything is relational we are developing a relationship with someone with someone at any moment. At any moment, we're re- developing a personal relationship. Whether it's with Krishna, with every one of you, with ourselves, it's all about developing personal relationships at every breath we take. Radical personalism. Hmm. So, so that's also revolutionary spirituality. Just to ask yourself how to continue becoming a devotee. That's revolution. To To have the I mean, I, I'm not saying I had the courage to do that. I was forced to make that question. I was forced by circumstances to, okay, so now what? <laughs> but, <clears throat> but that's an important question. That's what spirituality is about. Spirituality <clears throat> doesn't mean to do things. I will say, of course, we, we do things. But, <laughs> but in essence, spirituality doesn't mean so much doing stuff, but asking certain questions to continue asking certain questions. From the basis of those questions and the answer to those questions, we do some things. Or we stop doing those things and we start doing others. But you continue asking internally certain questions. So how can I continue participating in this? I want to participate in God of That means I want to be part. I want to be a part, not a part. No? So I have to be a participant. It's a participatory movement. Mahaprabhu Sankirtan is very participatory. No? <laughs> Come, John, jump into the fire with us. No? Sankirtan yakniya. <laughs> mm-hmm. no? And for that, we sometimes, again, at the, at the time of replying to those questions, you know, how to continue, how to rediscover my tradition, how to rediscover myself, in the context of rediscovering my tradition. <laughs> that requires sometimes to challenge, to be challenged and to challenge certain dynamics, not for rebellion's sake, you no. Know? like let's challenge everything and let's be just purely anarchic, so to say. You know, I have my anarchic days in my punk rock teenagehood, but now it's time for nourishing the, the sense of rebellion, so to say. Um, And just not conforming to the norm for the sake of conforming to the norm. Basically, that's the idea. Interestingly, the very word ecstasy, which is the goal of our life, we want ecstasy, bhava, that's the goal of sadhana. The word ecstasy means out of the norm. That's that's the meaning of the word, etymologically speaking. So you want ecstasy. Our goal is ecstasy. But we have to embrace a certain spirit to reach that goal that goal is out of the norm (laughs) so my point is you have to learn to be comfortable sometimes not conforming to the norm because ecstasy means out of the norm (laughs) on some way or another on some level or another Hmm? Um, and even if if sometimes in our environment in, in the dynamics in our tradition we may perceive okay the great great majority is conforming to the norm in a way that it starts to feel unhealthy, well, probably we are invited and we have a right and we have a duty to not conform to the norm. Mm -hmm. We can lovingly criticize the current condition of our tradition as a service to the tradition. Mm -hmm. You have in English saying something like the one who loves you beats you or something like that. We have one in the Spanish. <laughs> <Not> exactly. <laughs> All the laughing makes me think that there's some bad, some bad. There's some version, but with a bad word included in it. No, okay. I thought you were shy about saying that, and you—that's what you said. Okay, do we have one in Spanish? That's what I'm thinking. There's a sense of it, but not yeah, okay.
1: You saying it there's a sense of.
0: El que te quiere te aporrea. Aporrea is like boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. Yeah.
2: So the yeah, ones who loves to you, to beat you
0: beats you. Yeah. Anyhow, we are creating the yeah. quote. It is nothing. Okay, I won't ask further yeah. into that direction, yeah. just in case. So my point is, there is a place for for loving criticism, for constructive criticism, as a, as a show of affection, as we talked before. Confrontation, truth telling, intimacy. Mm-hmm. Like Abraham Lincoln once said, we are in the U.S., I, I can quote him. <laughs> He's saying he who has a heart to uh, to help has a right to criticize. No. So if the disposition is there, we can say that, that that's that's the base of constructive criticism. No man. It's necessary. It's totally necessary. Sometimes we go too much to the extreme of do not criticize because that will be offensive. But we go to the extreme that not even constructive criticism is allowed. So nothing should be criticized, nothing should be pointed at, that's dangerous, that's equally dangerous, so to say. So constructive criticism is required, which basically means if I tell you something or or anyone, first they have to, a few steps for constructive criticism to be there. First they have to be sure what I'm seeing in you is not actually something in me that I'm projecting because... Probably you do that first layer and 95% you realize <laughs> oh, it's <was> me, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, mirroring and projecting, anyhow. But if you pass the test and realize no, actually, that's present in that person, the second thing is okay, before saying that, why not first see some beautiful things about the person so you don't on- not only see what you are about to say, but first appreciate something very unique and, and unique. Then, third, try to ask yourself why I'm pointing why I'm presenting this criticism? What's my intention? What, which are my motives? Is there some healthy motive? And if you pass those th- first three tests, then comes the fourth one, which is, okay, I'm mentioning this to you, but also I'm committing to accompany and support you mm-hmm. in your attempt of changing what I'm pointing you to. that's That's not so easy because it's easy to tell, yeah, bye, with all affection, but you need to change this, so good luck, and I leave. <laughs> and I throw the baggage, okay? No? I'll pray for you. <laughs> but <laughs> but but yeah, to, to have the commitment to, no, I will be there for you and accompany you and struggle with you and you can count with me and and so on and so forth. So, so that's constructive criticism basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. That's that's part of the commitment for each of us as members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Bhakti you know, Natakar once say something that I was like shocked, but at the same time like, wow, well, in, in the good sense. In one of his Sajan publications publication, he say those who have been entrusted, he say in English entrusted with with being members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, uh, have the duty of trying to remove all the anartas from the Sampradaya. Again, with this, he's not meaning that the essence of Gaudiya Vaishnavism has an artist, <clears throat> but in the current dynamics of, of, of a community at any given point in history, there will be stuff to uproot, so to say. That was his point. And that, his point was, and of course, maybe the leaders have that duty. If you just came five days ago to the Gaudiya Sampradaya, it's not maybe your duty to all the the artist from the Sampradaya. Mm-hmm. But as you become a, an active member, there is some responsibility there. And of course, all this happens as long as we are removing our own an artist first. No, it's not about removing an artist around the whole world and nobody's touching my my weeds, so to say. No, first, the, the upasakas, as Mahaprabhu will say, once on heart. No? <clears throat> so have, that's a point for us. No, For us to be members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, I, I like to use, to describe it, Sampradaya as... a Because again, this word sometimes say Sampradaya, and it becomes too, too standardized, too normal. yeah, that's a lineage, a school, an institution, stuff you belong. But Sampradaya, it's a living school. I like to describe Sampradaya as a living school of prophets. And when I say prophet, please do not think that I'm talking about people doing miracles and descending from heaven, but the word prophet means someone who speaks on behalf of. And in this case, of course, ideally in behalf of the sweet absolute.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that means to be a contributing member in the parampara. You have to have your own voice. If you don't have it, you have to develop your own voice so you can offer your own voice in service of the parampara.
2: Parampara. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh,
0: because, of course, we totally honor what our acharyas have said in the past, but also an important question is, what will they be saying in the present? Hmm. Probably some things will be different, or will be, I mean, everything probably will be different. In, everything in the sense of deeper. No, I'm not saying that if Prabhupada will be talking now, he will, he will deny that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God. I'm not saying that. He will change that but he will go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because that's the nature of reality you can always go deeper and deeper and deeper so so the real question sometimes is not so much what Srila Prabhupada said but what Srila Prabhupada will be saying now and then to realize well we are supposed to represent what he will be saying at present that's the commitment of a member of parampara. Param Param is literally Param Fora, para, param, fora para. means one after another, after another, after another, after another.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: As Bhagwan Nataku will say in his Bhagavad speech, like the 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 the, 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 how he say the thought of the author, the author's thought must progress in the reader, mm-hmm. naturally in the form of development or correction. He will say. Mm-hmm. So that's the ongoing spirit of parampara. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And of course, whenever we, just before almost concluding, but whenever we, if we feel the need, okay, something needs to be pointed at, whether in myself or in the environment, there may be some problem to solve. It's also important that we we allow ourselves to take some time to understand the problem first. Because sometimes we rush into trying to solve the problem, but we haven't understood what's the actual problem. Hmm. There's, there's one quote from Albert Einstein that was nice. He said, if I will have 60 minutes to solve a problem, I will spend 55 minutes trying to understand the problem and then five minutes solving it. <laughs> so basically the idea is by understanding the problem, you have almost solved it totally. So. Sometimes in our, in, in our tradition, not only in our tradition, everywhere in life, we are quick to find problems. and Even we are quick to try to solve the problems, but sometimes we don't spend enough time trying to understand what's the problem. As if you don't understand the problem, you may, try, you may be trying to solve the wrong problem. And that's a bigger problem. Because if you misidentify the problem... You may spend lots of time trying to solve something that was not the actual problem. <laughs> so the actual problem remains undetected, and you are we may be investing time in things that are not the real problem. So that's an important thing. <clears throat> so from that place, I try to share a few thoughts in the book on, on how we can participate in our tradition and if we are how we are to become prophets, all of us again, prophet means to speak for, on behalf of, to represent. Parampara, Sri Guru, Bhagavan. The prophet is not just like an outsider throwing rocks, but also it's not an insider sitting comfortably from the, defending the status quo, so to say. The prophet has to be someone like with one foot on each place, so to say. Chaos and order, so to say. (laughs) Trying to from that place, trying to make a contribution. And and that's the role of all of us. Again, all of us are to become prophets in that sense of the term. Mm -hmm. Something who who is expert in discerning what remains essential, what has become irrelevant. That's a constant daily struggle. Sridhar Marsh will describe progress in those terms. Progress means accepting a higher conception discarding a lower one do you think that happens only once in a lifetime <laughs> it happens once in a nanosecond probably but it happens constantly no so what's essential what has become relevant what's essential what has become irrelevant i said relevant before whatever <laughs> So that's a, an ongoing process that all of us are invited as committed members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, not out of rebellion, not out of resentfulness, not out of cynicism, but out of love and, and commitment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that's the role of a revolutionary spiritualist. So that's the topic of today. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, just in Again, if if it was not clear, a few words of conclusion, revolutionary spirituality is not here about let's change the foundations of our school, let's modify the the Siddhanta or original teachings, nothing like that, but let's change the ics. I mean, not these ones. Let's change the ics through which we understand the teachings. It's more a modification of of the vision we have. That's why the Guru is described in terms of the Ikes, I mean, he's a, how do you say in English? The one who works on your third?
3: Optometrist.
0: Again? Optometrist. Optometrist. Wow. Okay, optometrist.
3: <laughs> You're good with
4: etymology. You yeah. should be able to break that. Down. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's an interesting one. I'm tempted to. <laughs> Anyhow, so the gurus describe that. The gurus describe someone who will give you a new set of eyes. Will teach you how to see, because we may have again revelation. We may have everything, but we have to learn how to see all that. You may have everything, but if you don't learn how to see, you are blind to whatever you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. Paradigm shift again. Mm -hmm. It was like the very first word that, that Jesus invoked in his ministry. It was metanoia. Metanoia, which basically means. Change your mind. But interestingly, it was translated, unfortunately, historically, that word was translated as repent. <laughs> 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 Which I have nothing against proper repentance, but the point is that the idea of change your mind was publicly transformed to repent, repent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But actually, metanoia means change your mind. Mm-hmm. Mantra means basically something like that. Mantra means. Transcend your mind, but basically it's change your mind. We are not trying to discard the mind and to put it in fire, but just to spiritualize it and, and <coughs> making the mind Your mind can be your worst enemy. okay? Here's the challenge: Make your worst enemy your best friend. That's like, oof. No. Try to think about the worst enemy in your life. Hopefully, nobody appears in the picture, but let's say you have a worst enemy. I'm seeing Jay Jagannath thinking he has a considerable <laughs> list and he's trying to find top five, top one. No? I can empathize with you, Jay Jagannath, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we have no enemies, of course. Some people may think there are enemies, but there's no actual enemies. So. But the challenge is. Okay, make your enemy, your worst enemy, your best friend. That's like, okay. Love, I mean, Christ will say, love your enemy. That's the basic same idea. Love for love your friend is kind of, I mean, that's easy. Huh? So like I say, by love your kids. I mean, that's already happened. Love your worst enemy. Okay, the only way to do so is to stop seeing that person as an enemy. <laughs> That's the magic of it. So change your mind. Mantra means basically that. So that's the change of eyes we are trying to to invoke here, so to say. To to learn to see things from another perspective. It's interesting. I always like the fact that the very first word in the whole cosmic manifestation that was heard by Brahma was Tapa. That was kind of the, how to say, like landmark? No, what's the word in English? Like something like defines a particular thing from that moment on. Defining moment. Okay, thank you. <laughs> sometimes, things, sometimes things are easier than what you might think. Sorry. Thank you for humbling me. I always wanted to make more complicated shout out thank you so much the defining moment the
1: fire
0: a little bit more complicated <laughs> <laughs> so that was the watershed like okay tapa this is this whole Shristi Lila is about tapa and tapa actually means fire and it's interesting because brahma heard fire and fire also means light among many other things of course uh and Brahma was not seeing no light. He was seeing anything because it was only himself at, at that point. So it was all dark. And he heard fire. He heard light, so to say. And the only way he saw light was like he turned inwards. <laughs> no, he he entered into introspection. He he had he changed his mind. He changed his set of eyes again. He closed his eyes. And he opened another set of eyes internally, so to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So he created an internal movement. So toward introspection means like inspect internal inspection. Basically, we're talking about that today in the morning inspect inwardly. Uh, So he did that internal movement. And of course, as a result of that, Brahma is the original Acharya of our Sampradaya. So that internal movement in time created an external movement called Brahma Godya Gaudiya Sampradaya. That's a movement we call Krishna Consciousness Movement. But any movement starts by an internal movement. Srila Prabhupada founded the movement, but before the official founding of the movement, there was another type of movement inside of him. When he heard his Guru's instruction, there was a movement in his heart. When he was in Jaladutta, writing prayer at the lotus feet of Krishna, some other movement in his heart. So all that internal movement eventually over overflow flew flowed him and manifested as an external movement. Say with Mahaprabhu. There was something first moving him inside so badly, so badly, you see. Sorry, I'm practicing my English with you. I have no other option. So that internal movement was so moving that eventually whole movement came from that internal movement that we call Gaudias and He was an golden, in the words of a golden volcano of divine love erupting and it's lava consuming everything on its way, he will say very poetically (laughs) so let me show one last quote and with this I'm concluding I promise you Uh, in connection to this idea of of internal movement and external movement so where is that part okay, yeah It says like this. Our hope does not lie in buildings or in the staff required to maintain them, but rather in the transformed lives of people. And it is on that that we can build on. In the Gaudiya school, these prophets are called Saragrahi Vaishnavas or essence seekers. And it is only through such people and through such movement a movement ignited in the hearts of such people, that we will be able to provide a gateway to the heart of the gift of our own tradition, for ourselves as well as others. In this way, if we want the movement to grow, then our hearts have to grow. The more our hearts grow, the more the movement grows. So <clears throat> anyhow, a few words on radical, uh, radical revolutionary spirituality, which basically is another way of speaking about. Radical person, listen. So thank you so much for your presence and attention. And I don't know if we have a few minutes for Q&A. Yeah. Yes? yes, sure. Yes. If sure. there is any comment or question, yeah. <clears throat> I
1: have a question about keeping up with the pace of the mm. Absolute. Mm. My mind was brought to the beginning of the seventh canto where Parashit is asking why
2: Krishna favors the devas over the demons. Mm-hmm.
1: And essentially in reply to that, um Shukadego Shami is saying that because both the devas and the demons <clears throat> are creatures of nature, they actually don't have the ability to keep up with the pace of Motherland's Lila. Mm-hmm. And therefore he invests the devas and also the Asuras with his own shakti, Mm -hmm. his own internal potency that facilitates their keeping up with the pace
2: of the Leela, Mm -hmm. and therefore the the demons can oppose Krishna
1: and the devas can assist him, Mm -hmm. and without the um, ingress of that energy, they're going to be able to oppose or assist because they're just creatures of nature and the is transcendent. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about, you know, the absolute is always unfolding and we have the responsibility of like keeping up with the pace. But there's like this, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like this tension that without being invested with this power of God, then there's no question of actually keeping up with the pace of the unfolding of nature, the unfolding, even the unfolding of nature with the speed of the unfolding of God's
2: plan for the sun for and light, mm-hmm. without being
1: invested with that energy so on the one hand there's like that sense of like well what can i even do without being invested in that with that energy mm-hmm. and like i'm thinking of versus like mahatma come Partha. part the, that, so without being a mahatma under the shelter of the internal energy who couldn't do anything mm-hmm. to assist or oppose on the one hand and on the other hand there's like this responsibility that we have to keep up with the pace and so that we remain relevant and that we remain effectively meaningful, even to our own members with to speak to anyone outside the circle. So there's like a tension of without God, you can't do anything, but then you're supposed to do something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's like how does one reference, like, I, I think you can get the sense of what I'm saying, but I feel like there needs to be some sort of reconciliation of these two ideas you mm-hmm. have sort of like the monkey holding on and, and the cat, the cat. And that sort of imagery but there's like a I don't know if it's like a polarity but it's like unless God does it you can't really do anything but mm-hmm. like there is some responsibility on our side <laughs> <laughs>
0: he can do something <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you. okay
1: yeah so what is yeah what is our true responsibility and
2: hmm. hmm.
1: a lot that needs to be accomplished really has to be <clears> accomplished <throat> from above or <clears throat> yeah how do we reconcile with all these sorts of like, <clears throat> this is like our theology we speak like this often and, and it could like it can be a sense of disempowerment in that sort of <clears throat> message like without the investment so yeah that's uh, that, it's not clearest question, but I think yeah
0: yeah I yeah, it's I, the dynamic. yeah, I think I got it. yeah. Yeah and it's imp- I, I will relate that to the classical grace effort dynamic, so to say in terms of okay, what's Christian doing, what I'm supposed to do because sometimes you go too much to one side, too much to the other and if you go too much ta- too much to the personal effort thing, it becomes like a meritocracy that it all depends on what I do and it's my merit and I attain and and you can even become arrogant because of thinking I did it myself. But if you go too much to the extreme of, oh, if Krishna wants, he will do everything. And as we were talking the other day, like someone would say, Krishna, whatever you want, I will do it. And Krishna says, I want to know what you want. I want you to invest your own individuality, your own personhood. To me, that's radical personalism. <laughs> like we were joking the other day, if Krishna is there with the gopis, he won't tell the gopis, I think now it's time for you to be angry with me to increase the experience of rasa. Okay. So I think you should invoke that particular. I mean, he doesn't need to tell them what to do. They are totally, their will is totally invested for his pleasure. So regarding your question or your, <clears throat> presentation what I can say and of course this is an ongoing dialogue it's not that I'm about to give you the definitive sutra and stop asking about that this is constantly ongoing but I always like to, to speak in terms of like like crafting uh, crafting the patra, so to say no our heart is like a, a Patra means like a re- recipient vessel mm-hmm. and Kripa no for, for mercy to to be received. Okay, yeah, Krishna's mercy is there, but what are we doing with the vessel that that will hold that, that will bird that? So there is something for us to do. And there is something for him to do. The the, the example I always like that you may know is the one of the someone who, who falls into a well you say no well now like a mm-hmm. yeah well yeah. and it's ten meters deep you fall there and there's nothing in one sense you can do, but there's at least one thing you can do, which is shout like mad. Oh, hell, hell, hell. That's the only thing you can do. That's it. But you have nobody else can do that. <laughs> you fall. The one outside the world kind of, I'll do the shouting. No, he needs to hear your shouting to come to your rescue. <laughs> so you have to do something. It's not too much. But in that particular situation, it's, and you have to shout really loud. <laughs> and then of course the person will come, will take, will be compassionate. Okay, we'll see, we'll go, we'll bring the, the rope, <clears throat> we'll throw the rope. You have to, you have again, second part. You have to hold the rope. Nobody else can do it for you. It's not too much, but you have to do it. By comparison, it's not too much. Mm-hmm. And then the person may be saving you. And in the process of being saved, I don't know, in the well, there may be some beehives or something. And the bees are starting to bite you. And it's like, I'm about to throw the rope. And the person says, let this bees do everything they want. I'm saving you. <laughs> so you have to tolerate while you're holding to the rope. And eventually the person saved you. Although you did your part, you will never think I saved myself, much less I saved the other person. I mean, you will go out and you, will, you won't tell to the person, did you see how nicely I hold onto the rope? No? I mean, that person will throw you back into the <laughs> hole and <laughs> say that. Generally, you will be completely humble and say, you saved my life. Although you had to do your part. So so I will say that that's kind of the role of effort and and grace. Now, grace is doing the the bigger chunk, so to say, of the equation. Uh, But there is something we are expected to do because again, the grace may be there knocking on your door. Srila Siddharth Maharaj will say that. I like how he puts it. He says, Krishna is giving everything to you right now, but he's asking from you a little bit of collaboration to accept his gift. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like if I'm, I'm giving you a gift and I'm asking you, please put your hand, Collaborate. No, thank you. No, but that's all you have to do. But sometimes we are not even willing to do that. No, like the famous Michelangelo painting. Like God is like, "Uh, take my hand. Here's the gift, and we are like, "Mm." not checking WhatsApp or whatever. The guy, the guys, like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I will do my part. No. So. So, yeah, I will, at least personally, that's how I I, I, I kind of conceive that in my own mind. I mean, even though it feels so hard that we, what we have to do is so much and so much, still, if you put the bigger picture, invoke the bigger picture, you realize at the end of this, grace is doing basically everything. And I have basically to allow grace to. Because if not, it's not voluntary also. If it's completely forced, it's kind of where's our will again. We have no we had no choice in the matter. So so also that's the glory of being a sadhana siddha, so to say. <laughs> you have to you have to choose. I'm going there. You have to go through the tests. No. That's like what what Krishna tells Gopakumar in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. No? When he arrives there, somehow he tells. I was there with you in every knock, in every door you knocked. And many times you knocked doors and the door was slammed upon your face and you were rejected and you were humiliated and I was dragged next to you in every one of those moments. You were suffering and looking for me and crying for me and I left you. But I appreciate that you're, you're going through that. So, But I mean, it's also just really,
4: like you talked a lot about, the dynamic of love. And, you know, all the cowherd men were sitting there holding up Govardhan Hill. Mm. It's just something that ultimately just naturally springs Mm -hmm. from within the heart of the living being. And why was Krishna there in the first place anyway with the demigods and the demons? He was asked by his devotees. You know, it's it's always constantly an evolving Mm. relationship of love, Mm. right? At the end of the
0: day. Yeah, yeah. That's what we want. know a few thoughts we can continue unfolding for the rest of our lifetime, no problem. We have time, we have eternity on our side. So that's the idea. What's your name, sir? Mukunda. Mukunda, Thank yeah. you very much, Mark.
3: Thank you for up. your presence. I just had a question regarding... Um, so it feels as though our situation here in the material world is, well, in my case, it's kind of embarrassing to be with this body and this mind and this conditioning and that embarrassment or shame, I mean, I can imagine, like, if I was put into the spiritual world, I would cause a disturbance because of the way that I am conditioned like that. But how does one, that feels like an obstacle in my relationship with Krishna, like, I must come forward. There's a certain boldness or confidence that Krishna will accept us and that we must come forward in spite of this shameful condition. <laughs> Um, so there's, I'm, I'm not exactly, sh- do you have any advice on how to navigate that, where we are and where we want to go, but having no qualification and the reality of this mm. you know, embarrassing
0: condition? <laughs> thank for your words. Yeah, thanks for bringing up that point because it's always, there's always the danger of the potential of making this, the spiritual journey a, a guilt trip also. And that's not the idea. And I for, unfortunately have seen many devotees sometimes getting relatively neurotic about being unworthy, unfailing, unfailing. And I'm failing, and falling. And with this, I'm not proposing, let's fall and fail for the pleasure of the Lord. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, you will fail, you will fall, and that's okay. That's normal. I mean, we have to normalize failure. No? We have traumatized failure it's time to normalize failure <laughs> again not to justify failure and, and do anything but to normalize it not to traumatize it and 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 to and to understand that that krishna is right from the very beginning no beginning but right from the very beginning <laughs> he's made of he ha, he does krishna doesn't have love for someone krishna is made of love that's not the same. One thing is to love someone; other thing is to be loved in its in your, in yourself. So you cannot not love. <laughs> if you are made of love, I mean, it's unavoidable that you will love in every direction possible. You cannot stop loving. So if Krishna is made of love, and love is unconditional, because love is not conditional. The very moment I say conditional love, it's an oxymoron. It's contradictory. No. The real nature of love is unconditional, so Krishna has unconditional love no he doesn't have he's made of unconditional love in every possible direction, so where's the place for trying to struggle to gain his love and his he already loves me. <laughs> That's Krishna. Many statements. I quote in one section of my book. I speak about unconditional love, and uh, there are so many. St- I, I mean, I, I knew a few, but I started to do research, and I was surprised. Like so many sections in Shasta, where Krishna's making, because sometimes we may think Krishna only loves his devotees, and he's indifferent to everything else and everyone else. And that's mm-hmm. that's that can be a pretty dysfunctional scenario. I mean, you can feel, oh, I'm a devotee. Oof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> luckily you say like this only, you know, but sometimes you're like, Krishna loves me because I'm a devotee. There are non-devotees, which is an expression that I don't like at all. But anyhow, but no, you go to the different parts of Shatran, Krishna is saying, I love everyone. Of course, he loves the devotees in a particular way because the devotees reciprocate. A conditioned soul is not yet reciprocating, but doesn't mean that Christian is not loving them. It's like a mother. I gave the example of a mother having a baby, and the baby has three hours being born. <laughs> and in one sense, the baby is not yet aware. In one sense, I'm a baby. She's my mother. There's not like still yet an, an awareness of how to reciprocate in a conscious, voluntary way. It's more in- instinctual. You see
4: not a set of rules. Mm-hmm.
0: But the mother already is aware. He's my baby. She loves the baby. Even when the baby is not aware that he has a mother. <laughs> but she loves her- him in a certain way according to his non-reciprocity. <laughs> in time, the baby grows, becomes aware. There's something called mom. <laughs> There's something called mom's love. And I am the object of that love. And I feel driven to reciprocate. So at that moment, the the mom was loving him all the way through. But the moment the child starts to reciprocate, the mom's love takes another shape to correspond to that love. So the same way I would say Krishna loves everyone and everything unconditionally from the very beginning. But with his devotees, that's expressed in a certain way because the devotees are reciprocating. So, But but the point is, we are already being loved by Krishna. So there's no thing about... I have to earn god's love that's like kind of ridiculous technically speaking (laughs) there you because also you cannot earn god's love because god's love is too much to be deserved i mean you
4: know that we take god's love sometimes that's so freely available actually mm -hmm and we see our reciprocation with that as being sentimental or not enough, like, you know, the child that falls down. I mean, I, 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 I like the example where, um, you know, the child falls when they're learning to walk and the mother doesn't even really think anything about it. Maybe they even laugh. It adds,
0: not, it adds to her love, even.
4: Yeah, it's not, it's not something that they disown the child for or any of that kind of mentality. No. Yeah. yeah, it it
0: increases I, I, her affection actually. Exactly. Not to promote, let's make more mistakes so Krishna loves us more, mm-hmm. but that's the nature of, of unconditional love. Exactly. So. And we
4: have that too.
0: Yeah, and and it's very humbling, but it's sometimes so difficult to us to understand that because we love we love ourselves so little. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's some deep ingrained shame, and guilt in the very depths of our subconscious that we feel uncompletely, completely unworthy, very ingrained beyond what we can realize. And with this, I'm not promoting some new age, look at your mirror and say I'm beautiful and perfect and I love me and I'm all that. I'm not saying that. But you have to love yourself in the way, I, I like this phrase from St. John of the Cross. He says, love what God sees in you. No, when God is loving you, and He sees something in you that is lovable, so learn to love that in yourself, because God is loving that. It's not a a selfish love, like "I love me, I'm so unique and special." It's not like a narcissistic absorption. It's like a humbling thing. No, (laughs) you don't need to raise your hand. I get
4: too excited with this, but you know the fact of the matter is is that. If you don't accept um, the love that's in your heart, you're denying Krishna.
2: Uh-huh.
4: Like if Krishna's giving you qualities and abilities, uh-huh. or uh, you know something to share, or a way to love, or a way to give to others, and you discount that, thinking you're not good enough, or that <clears> you know <throat> that it won't be accepted, or uh-huh. any of these kinds of things, you're kind of denying Krishna.
2: Uh-huh.
4: You know, it yeah. is a matter of faith that's, and conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like you say, dynamicism. Um... Yeah. Yeah, but thinking that's that's another form of what we may call functional atheism. And some people say, I believe in God, but in, in functionality, you are denying him in so many ways. And one of them is denying his unconditional, the presence of his unconditional love in your own life, not allowing that to happen, not wanting to acknowledge that. And who you are. Yeah. And, 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 and also, there is something that comes to mind that is, i mean to be unconditionally loved forever without deserving of course that's unconditional means there's nothing i can do to deserve that that's complicated because we are in, we are in a loop in a deserving loop in a merit meritocracy loop like i have to earn what i'm do i do this i earn this i earn and, and then suddenly someone something comes that someone is loving you forever unconditionally and that love is so incredible that no matter what you do, you are already loved and no matter what you do, you will never deserve that. And that for the ego is a hard pill to swallow. Like Because generally we are accustomed to, like, I have to deserve stuff. So it, 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 it requires the deepest humility to coexist with unconditional love. Because it's coexisting with something that you, you will never deserve. And you have to be okay with that. Generally, we are not okay with that. And that's why we run towards the action, reaction, karma department because we want to deserve some stuff. So I do that. Okay, I did that. That's my merit. But you are out of the loop of unconditional love. I mean, the conditional love is still there, but you lose sight of that. (laughs) So that's, for me, an important point because when we say Krishna loves you unconditionally, it sounds like cheap. Like I have nothing to do. But for you to realize that, you have to invoke the highest humility to coexist with something that you will never deserve, woo, there is a price to that. That's a higher price than remaining on the realm of karma of deserving stuff by doing actions. That's that's a lower price. That's a lower product, so to say as well. Sorry.
2: Um,
5: I was just thinking
0: on this note that <clears throat> it seems like the shame and guilt psychology is
5: like particularly from unhealthy cultures, whereas... I've met, like, in South America and India, uh, you know, people who have grown up with, like, stable communities who have just, like, stable sense of ego, where there isn't too much pride and there also isn't too much shame. And I think, like, that's a huge
2: part of hmm. the Sataka's path mm-hmm. in the West and, and having grown up in cultures
0: where, like, there are all these ingrained yeah.
5: kind of ego trips. Um, so that's just kind of on this note. Can I share kind of a different... Question slash thought. Sorry again? Well, is it, can I share a different question slash thought?
0: Apart from what Apart you said now. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, yeah.
5: Yeah, I was just thinking that it seems like what George was sharing about, you know, grace and effort. I was thinking similarly about, like, the spectrum between liberalism and conservatism. and Kind of that like the he has to, like, live or like straddle
2: all these dualities, simultaneously, all, you know, that's kind of what the he does. Mm-hmm. Mercy, justice, grace, effort.
5: Mm-hmm. And, and so I was thinking of the spectrum, which I feel like is very present for me between like conservative conservatism and liberalism. And so I feel like I'm naturally very attracted to, you know, your messaging, which is like, at least in the way that it's being spoken now is on the liberal end,
2: mm-hmm.
5: more so than and that seems very natural to me, but I was wondering what you think about, like, yeah, how to how to actually stay in the middle where liberalism also too much of freedom, which I find for myself becomes an obstacle, and that I don't give myself in my spiritual practice like enough structure to contain the substance that I seek. For, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, just kind of like, what's that dance of also. Zooming in, zooming away from the liberalism, maybe when it comes to practice or like mm-hmm. regulations. And I don't know if that makes
0: sense, but like what that dance kind of looks like. Yeah, well, it will lo- looks very different to each one. Uh, each one of us will be dancing a very different tune. No? We may be all in the same dancing hall, but <laughs> there will be a different dancing dynamics. Because again, we are very unique individuals in different chapters of our journey. So... I totally <clears throat> agree with your point that some, someone may require a certain dose, so to say, of a structure that other people will find suffocating. But it doesn't mean that one is wrong; the other is right. It means that each one of them requires very specific treatment, so to say. Because again, at the end of the day, the bhakti journey is a in totally individualized, specific Journeys, not like, okay, all of you have to fix again, fit into this box. This should work for every one of you. Like we were talking, I remember in Kali that Joy Jagannath was mentioning in his seminar on prayer life. And we were talking that some people will attain perfection by a particular angle of bhakti. And some person will attain perfection by another angle of bhakti. And some people will be inspiring to address that same anga from a different place and there is place for all that. It's not that you are speculating and creating your own hodgepodge or something. So, And again, that requires introspection because there's no universal answer to how to deal with that dance, which is the, the, the ideal balance and the ideal percentage of structure for all the devotees. There's no re- reply to that question because all the votes are in completely different constellations in one sense. I mean, we are ideally aligned with the same constellation, but at the same time, each one is in their own journey. So that requires introspection and very individualized following. But of course, I'm not saying here, uh, let's throw the rules out of the window or anything like that in the name of pragavakti or anything. <laughs> but but under, I mean, rules are necessary. I remember the other day we, we, we opened uh, this a Facebook group some weeks ago and, and there were some, there are some rules in the group, rules of engagement and, and, and someone mentioned that he didn't feel comfortable with the word rule because it, whatever, that triggered something I mean every person, again I say rule and to each one of you it means something different <coughs> and, and the idea, and I am, okay I understand but my point was like for me rule is more like let's play a game so if we play a game, the game has to have rules. If not, there is no fun. There's no game. The ultimate reality is a game. It's Lila, play. And any play has rules. So even Lila, which is the realm of the ultimate freedom, has to have some rules for it to work. <laughs> no? So I, I prefer to address rules from that place, like something not constricting, yeah. but facilitating. But yeah. A rule facilitates the game. If I start to play chess with you, and I I don't know how to play chess to begin with, but let's just say I start to move the pieces to any place that is not legal according to the rules of the game. You're like, what are you doing, Maraj? We are not have, we are not playing. This is nonsense. We cannot do that. Follow the rules. <laughs> and I won't tell you, oh, you are too much of a Bahidivakta. No, no, follow the rules follow. No, no, let's let's play. Ragabac is all about play, <laughs> but it has its own rules. So so, yeah, there are degrees of rules. There are degrees of even conceiving the same rules. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking with, and I mentioned that in my book, <clears throat> but I remember we were talking with Nam Rasa some years ago. For example, a classical, so to say, set of rules for the devotes will be, and at least in day one, you know, there's the magical, day one magical formula, mm-hmm. so to say. <laughs> of course, after day two or five, you start to feel the need of expanding the magic. <laughs> By one of the magical rules, are four regulative principles. So one of them will be, I don't know, uh, do not eat meat. In time, you will realize, oh, the principle is actually not about that. The principle is about uh, being compassionate. And it's not only about being compassionate, but being, I mean, being nonviolent, let's begin, not only not eating meat, because I, I cannot stop eating meat, but I can be violent in so many other ways. So you start to realize, okay, the, the original understanding of this rule is getting expanded. It's not limited to what I eat, but how do I relate with everyone? It's not only about being nonviolent, but it's about being loving. And it's not about being loving only, but it's about being as loving as I can. So then you reach to that point of, I have to be as loving as I have. No, I would like to be as loving as I can. That's very different to do not eat meat. Mm -hmm. So it's the same rule, (laughs) but you have kind of played out the implications of the rule and that maybe took out years for that to happen. So I say this because sometimes we say, okay, we follow certain rules of structure, but the same rule and structure can take so many different meanings. Not just now I don't follow this rule and I follow this new rule. Sometimes you follow the same rule deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, you find new meaning into your vows. I have to renew my sannyas vows every day and discover what means sannyas vows. I remember in my tectonic shift from a few months ago, I I kind of met myself with a new meaning of Venus sannyasi because I realized, okay, the main quality that Shastra mentions about sannyas is Abhayatwa, which means fearlessness. And I'm being thrown into liminal space, 108%. (laughs) So I have to be okay, coexisting with the unknown. I don't have a clue what will happen tomorrow. And this will last for a while. It's clear. (laughs) So, and that's the essence of sannyas. So I have to increase my sannyas vow by embracing liminality in this chapter of my life as never before. I'm becoming more of a sannyas again. That's for me, it was naturally okay. I'm increasing my (laughs) science. So, anyhow, I I, I will say that no, like there are structures and and there are rules, and at one point that rule will become maybe limiting and suffocating. And you need to break some rules to accept the higher rule, basically. That's what Krishna does in the Gita, where he breaks his vow of not participating in the battle to protect Arjuna. he broke a vow, but to keep a higher one. So sometimes that requires also, of course, criteria, no? what, to do, what to do. But like someone say once, like, oh, someone who really followed nicely his vows can know when to break them. No. Again, I'm not promoting. No. But sometimes you need to break some vows to accept higher ones, again, to have bigger ones. Don't cut my sentence and put that out of context. And they say... But when I was, I was promoting, <laughs> <laughs> no. anyhow, just some thoughts. Thank you for your
4: question. Well, you spoke about essence a lot, and that's what you're really talking about now. You keep using the word mm. um, when you're applying the rules and you're applying the long-term understanding. And you talked about 95% understanding and then resolving, getting down to the essence. You talked about that with radical. So, and liberal doesn't always <clears> mean lax. Yeah. I'm just, person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm just pointing out that, you know, Prabhupada used the word liberal a lot. I'm sorry, I, I don't know if I'm crossing lines, but the word liberal is used a lot, you know, by Vaishnavas. By mm-hmm. And the word broad-minded is used even more describing the Mahatma. So having that, and then like you said, being able to see from all the varieties and different perspectives and, being open to that and relishing that and enjoying that. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. yeah, and somehow always trying to thread the middle path as bhakti is very much middle path. It's not about, again, rejecting, all right, like the sididha." Now, you want to take full city in bhakti, you shouldn't be too attached nor too detached. One example of that, not like, not too much here, not because you go to one end of the spectrum, you end up being you become too liberal you end up becoming you go oops what i'm doing on the other side <laughs> so the, the extremes are always like unhealthy so in that sense we want like a, a synthesis, no? like like trying to integrate higher integration basically it's a constant level of integrating integration that's bhakti it's not karma it's not jnana. it's not accepting and enjoying and exploiting it's not denying and rejecting but it's like accepting and rejecting but from another perspective no like like yesterday yesterday I was with Radhan and Maharaj. I, I just forgot yeah it was yesterday I, I was I will share that again yeah. sorry I was I had the Radhan and Maharaj invited me to meet him and he was generous enough to share with me like four hours and, and, and he was telling at one point that Sila Prabhupada was with, with one devotee and the devotee told him Prabhupada, for you, I'm ready to renounce everything. Which is, again, it's nice that you say that to your guru. I'm ready to renounce everything for you. But Prabhupada felt there is something behind the words that needs further adjustments. And Prabhupada told him, the only only thing you need to renounce is the idea that you need to renounce everything. (laughs) You don't need to renounce everything. You only need to renounce the idea that you need to renounce everything. But actually, everything can be offered to Krishna. You now, connecting a little bit with your... You mentioned Mukunda about, okay, having this bad, this situation, and I may feel embarrassed, but there's no need to... I mean, we may be feel embarrassed if we do some embarrassing thing, and God we do it. But, <laughs> but at the same time, our body is not a, shouldn't be a source of embarrassment. I mean, our body's potential paraphernalia to be offered in the service of Bhagavan. So... Even if I'm still using it in a little embarrassing ways, the potential is there. So everything is sacred. As I mentioned in my book, like there's nothing profane. There's only sacred things or desecrated things. We may desecrate stuff, but everything is potentially sacred. So we shouldn't be ashamed of anything because everything is a Shakti of Bhagavan. <laughs> everything is in his service. Come on. Okay, Mohan Oh, yes,
3: no problem. <laughs> yeah, when we when the talk came up about conservatives and liberals, I remember the uh, definition that Chaitanya Chiran, I don't know if you know who that is. Chitani yeah, he gave at a seminar here. He said conservatives are concerned with um, conservatives see what's good in a system and they're concerned with preserving it. And liberals see See people being disadvantaged or left behind by some of the shortcomings in the system, and they want to rectify that. Mm-hmm. So if the two could get together and mm-hmm. balance each other out, yeah. then you'd have the idea. Mm-hmm. And on rules, I remember reading in a administrative um, handbook that rules are to, are tools meant to rules are tools meant to ensure a certain outcome, and if they're not or meant for a certain purpose. And if
0: they're not, when they start not serving that purpose, that's when you
3: bend them or break them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank but you then, so but much. But the rule in and
2: of itself, I think
0: we know that the rule in and of itself is not what the goal is. The rule is serving the yeah. goal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that reminds me what Srila Prabhupada said to Achyutthyananda when they were like originally mm-hmm. signing the papers of Iskan, like officially making the legal structure. And there were so many rules that they had to be put in those papers. And he said, "Well, but at the end of the day, the main rule is this: iskin has to be ruled by love and trust. And if at that point, if at some point, this rule is no longer followed, all the, all the effort we are making to create all this, that same effort we should put to deconstruct all that. So the rule, the real rule, continues to be followed: love and trust. So the same point you mentioned: there are rules, but if those rules are not serving the real purpose." What's the purpose of those rules? No? So, thank you, Tamal. Oh, I was trying to, I was trying to, no, I'm satisfied. Thank you. But you can be more satisfied, I, yeah. and we can be more That's satisfied so by hearing what what was behind your raising your hands.
2: <laughs> ah,
0: okay, 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 okay. Because I saw him raising the hand, but it was like okay, represent. Okay, thank you so much for raising that hand there. Okay, so I think we are in time and maybe we can continue sharing uh, informally so it doesn't it becomes too late to you. So thank you so much. bye Prabhu and the family and everyone of you present here. Thank you. <laughs> Gold Bhakta bring gold Priman and the one circle Vaishnava. Koti